An award-winning entrepreneur, one of Canada's most powerful women, and Startup Canada's ambassador for women entrepreneurs. This is your host, Janice McDonald, for the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, a show inspiring, connecting, and educating women entrepreneurs across Canada. On this show, we connect you with leading innovators, change makers, and organizations helping women to own it in entrepreneurship. The Thrive Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community and voice for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada, the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community and subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. I'm your host, Janice McDonald, president of the Beacon Agency and Startup Canada's ambassador for women entrepreneurs. We are thrilled to have Robbie Moses on the show today. Robbie is the in-house counsel and real estate officer at Arnon Corporation, one of Canada's most successful property developers and landlords in Canada's national capital region. Arnon has achieved exceptional success by making sound, timely business decisions, by consistently demonstrating to clients and tenants that their relationship with the company means more than a contract, it means a commitment. The company's reputation is built upon stability, integrity, and client needs. Robbie joins us today to share advice, insights, and tips for listeners to find the right space to grow their company. Welcome to the show, Robbie. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start with the key message that you hope our listeners will be able to take away from our conversation today? What is it they need to know? Sure. Uh, so I think the key thing to take away today is really just getting a sense of some key factors to consider and to be aware of to make strong and sound business decisions when preparing to uh, set up an office space, or at least when a company's at a stage where they're ready to start looking at and committing to office space. Uh, so I guess getting a sense of the issues that surround that and sort of what sort of pitfalls to avoid and what sort of things to think about to give yourself maybe more options and flexibility as your company grows or contracts or whatever have you with the life cycle of a company. Okay. That's a great way to start. So, um, right away. So, you know, often on the continuum, people start maybe in their basement or the spare bedroom in those early startup days, they might move over uh, to the coffee shop every so often, you know, into a co-working, and then they're ready to get their own space. They have a team, they've got dreams, uh, they've got some revenue. So what, what does next look like? And why don't you start with just kind of like the, you know, how do you even start to prepare to think about uh, making a good decision? Okay. So I think uh, on a very sort of pragmatic level, the Mm -hmm. 
one way to prepare is to just by talking to people. Um, I think probably one of the best resources you can use is brokers, okay. uh, specifically commercial real estate brokers that specialize in office space okay. because they've done this thing 10 times over and they'll give you a really good sense of uh, the kinds of issues to think about. Okay. And they've got a good sense of the market. So in terms of pricing, mm-hmm. what buildings and landlords might be more favorable for a variety of reasons and whatnot. Okay. Um, but be aware that sometimes and oftentimes brokers come with at a premium. So if you're going to be using them, uh, there could be costs associated with that. So uh, another way to... Uh, and can we just pause there for sure. a second? So what's the rule of thumb? What what could what could our listeners expect in terms of getting a broker? What would be that additional cost that they may not have realized? Well, you know, and we know they're an expert, so it's like, yes, you want to use a broker, but it's so going to cost you. I guess to to put it plainly, um, brokers generally charge somewhere in the realm of five percent on a okay. given lease, uh, and obviously that depends on the landlord and the type of deal that they've got with brokers. Okay, uh, but generally speaking, those type of costs could be uh, borne into the rent that the landlord ultimately charges because they want to make sure that whatever costs Mm -hmm. they're incurring are getting, uh, you know, like passed on to the customer or what have you so that they're getting, they're covering their costs, right? So, so the, you don't pay it. So it's not, you know, here's the price and then you, you pay a brokerage fee. No, it's in your rent is what you're saying. It, it, it can work that way. Okay. That's one scenario. That's, That's one, one scenario. scenario. So okay. uh, I would say talking to people, specifically brokers is one way to start, but another way is there's a lot of really good resources online. So uh, for example, there's a lot of industry uh, reports that are available specifically to Ottawa and Canada, Ontario in general. Uh, and where do you find these? Uh, you can find them online. Altus, but like where online? Like because Altus if is been, a really good resource for what is it called? Altus. 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 Yeah, they're a good third party. A L T I S. T U S. Yeah. Oh, Altus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A L T U S. Yeah. And you go there, and it's just a wealth of information for first. You know, especially we're thinking about those first time renters. Um, they've never done it before yeah. for their business. So yeah. Sure. Head so, there. Yeah. So they can go there, and they've got. I mean. A lot of this, uh, the service that they provide online are mm-hmm. subscription-based, so you have okay. to pay a premium, Okay, uh, but they do have some things available otherwise in terms of reporting and whatnot to get a sense of what's going on in the market. Okay, um, And then also another really good resource is, is just uh, conferences. And I know that's less frequent and it's probably less accessible for a startup, but okay. that's a really, really good resource also. So for example, uh, the real estate forum that they hold every year in Ottawa, uh, there's a, 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 you know, a variety of guest speakers that are talking about the climate of the market okay. and the different areas. So for example, this year they had representation from both downtown Ottawa, as well as in the West end, which are usually the stronger contingents in terms of high tech representation is tenants. Okay. Uh, so you can get a sense of both what's going on in, uh, in both geographic areas and how they compare and perhaps what the pros and cons of locating in either one are. Um, and it's also good, a good opportunity to sort of get your name out there with different landlords and people okay. in the real estate industry. Uh, if you just want to get sort of, anecdotal pieces of information that might be helpful as you look to make a decision because there's a lot of parties that are involved in I guess the process of securing a lease, like they, it could be very straightforward, but depending on what type of fit up work you want to do, for example, it and, could, t- and tell people even what fit up work means. So okay. fit up work um, means basically what renovations you're doing to the space. Okay. So that could involve anything from putting in a kitchen to adding uh, to doing renovations to the bathrooms because you want some new tiling to new carpet and paint or what have you. Uh, but 
really the sky's the limit on what so kind of whatever work. you're doing to get your space the way you want it. Exactly. And why don't you walk people through so that they understand how this works, whether you pay for it, your landlord paid pays for it, how it's part of the contract that you sign, you know, when you're, when you're getting uh, inducements, et cetera, because if you've never done it before, uh, you have no idea how this stuff works. And then also some tips to go along with it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I guess the bottom line for all this stuff is is really leverage. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is uh, who has more leverage in the negotiation process. Uh, So if it's a highly desirable tenant, Mm -hmm. for example, that's got a lot of uh, clout in the industry uh, because they've got a lot of market power, industry leader, really strong growth numbers, et cetera. A a landlord might be more desired to have them in their building, for example, Mm -hmm. and that can create opportunities for negotiation from the tenant perspective. Conversely, if it's it's a young company, company Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily have a proven business model. And they've got, um, I don't want to call it uncertainty, but maybe the right word is is a lack of history to -hmm. demonstrate their market strength. Then perhaps the the leverage might be more in favor of the landlord in the sense that it's more on the the tenant to demonstrate long-term their viability. Uh, So that leverage plays a role in the fit-up process because it could determine what sort of incentives might be available uh, between the landlord and tenant. So that could be anything thing from the tenant deciding to pay to do the work in the space uh, or on the other side, the landlord, for example, offering his incentive to do free carpet and paint. Okay. And so, so understanding that there's a, there's a, a dance and a negotiation that happens. So it's, you're looking at a space, but you know, for you to get it the way you want it to be, and also within your budget, um, there's going to be some give and take on both. Absolutely. And I, I mean, kind of just touching on the point that you made when you're introducing Arnon, uh, we really do view our relationships as partnerships. Uh, we're looking for tenants that we can have a long-term relationship with. Uh, relationship being the operative word there, because we really do view it as that. Uh, and uh, we want to work with people. And so I think it's, you know, we like to see our tenants succeed because it's a win-win on both sides. Sure. Um, so that, that's, how, that's our outlook. Um, and in the process, like we, while we're doing that dance, as you put, it. Uh, we're sort of looking to do that feel out the same way, I guess, the tenant is doing it in terms of the building and whatnot. Right. So, cause usually, uh, when you're looking at a space, you're looking at a bunch, but there's probably one that you're like, Ooh, I really want that space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, call that the short list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So Robbie, something that people may not be aware of is that your potential landlord is going to ask you for a bunch of information. Yeah. So it's not just that you say, I'll take it. And then you just slide a check over and it's done. There's, there's more to it. So why don't you walk people through that have never, you know, this is their startup, they're growing fast. Um, they like a space, an Arnon space. They're ready to go. Yeah. What, what happens next? So, um, assuming that, you know, the, the green light has been given and or on both sides, on I both guess. Sides. Right. So it's like you can, you have it. So I guess first step is a general agreement to sort of overall conditions. Is that kind of? Yeah. So I'd say sort of, I mean, even before you get to the point of looking at a lease, you want like, I mean, depending on the organization, like I said, you're going to want to figure out, uh, the, 
like a landlord might ask, depending on the, the tenant, uh, information like financials or sort of what sort of figures they've got to project the favorability or the viability of the company going forward. So you shouldn't be surprised. surprised. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Like that's a normal question that you're going to ask. Exactly. Because, okay. I mean, depending on the tenant, like I said, it's a partnership. And if the landlord's going to invest their time and energy and space in the tenant, then they want to make sure it's worth their while. Uh, the same the same is true, I, I think, for any type of transaction where you've got both parties wanting to spend their time wisely, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, but with respect to once the actual lease starts to get drafted or once you get to a point where that, I guess, um, feasibility component has been looked at, the first step is a lease. Uh, and generally, uh, you're going to be using the landlord's form. Uh, but depending, I guess, like I said, on the leverage or the dynamics between the party, um, you're going to decide on what lease form you're going to use. So that's the standard document that's going to lay out you know, the term of the lease, the rent that's going to be charged, the indemnities, the rights, responsibilities, obligations, insurance, all that. Um, um, and there's so, a lot, oh, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot that goes into this. Absolutely, yeah. And so, um, and as you mentioned, so there is insurance, there's, you know, there, and all those, you know, the, the small little print actually matters because yeah. as you said, if something changes later, you're growing really fast and you want to move or change spots or something or vice versa. Maybe it's not going the way you planned. Yeah. You need to know what those terms and conditions are. Exactly. And like, I think um, the kinds of things that I would say are the kind of clauses I should say that are more popular specifically with startups are things like renewal rights um, or expansion rights or rights of first refusal. Um, So do you want to break those down for people to understand what those are? Sure. Okay. So a renewal right basically gives a tenant the right to renew the lease on the same terms and conditions in the lease, save and accept for A, B, C, and D. So for example, they, there might be in there uh, a, a different rental rate uh, to account for the fact that the market might be changing in three years. If it's a strong market, the rent could go up. Um, but the benefit of that kind of clause is that there's predictability from the startup's perspective. So if, let's say, three years down the road, they decide they want to stay, they know or they can have a, at least a sense of what rental rate they might be working with down the road. So from a, a control standpoint, uh, financially, if there's that component to it. That's, right. That gives strength to uh, the company in terms of planning. Um, with respect to expansion rights, um, that generally you're going to see more uh, if a company is growing very aggressively. Uh, so if, if a company's got really, really go- like strong growth projections, they might want to put something in the lease that says, you know, on X date, we're going to have the right to take over floors, you know, four, five, and six in the building because we're probably going to need that space because we anticipate doing a big hire. Right. Right. Um, so, and a right of first refusal is sort of another way to get to that same end game, uh, because basically what that's going to say is if a third party prospective tenant puts in an offer for the space, we've got the first right to take it. So the, the whole idea there is you want to have some, I mean, the tenant might want to have some level of protection or guarantee or assurance that they can get more space if they're going to need it. Right. And that to not have to move. Exactly. Yeah. And not have to have some sort of like, you know, fragile fragmented approach to doing business where they've got one office on one side of the street and another down the street, which might be difficult for a variety of reasons. So those are the kinds of things that you could put in there. Um, uh, just from a planning perspective perspective. and Mm -hmm. those are, you know, what we've seen in terms of like companies with a really tight life cycle where it's sort of like grow fast or go Mm -hmm. home sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And um, so what are, so we're starting to talk about the key components of a lease. Do you want to kind of continue with that? And then also really give um, our listeners a sense of what should you be, what else should you be paying close attention to when you're reviewing one? Okay. So I think uh, like rule of thumb is you really want to understand the different types of commercial leases. Okay. Um, so that's the first thing. There are different types of commercial leases. Correct. <laughs> correct. That is correct. Okay. okay. So step, step one. one. Um, and so the, the two main types that you might see are what's called a gross lease versus a net lease. Um, so the difference between the two is a gross lease is going to just be like an all-in rental number that you're paying every month. So okay. let's say just for simplicity, it's a thousand bucks. So that's that's the number. Uh, and then you might get taxed on top of that, but that's the number. Um, conversely, a net lease would be a scenario where you've got what's called like a base rent figure. Sometimes it could be on a square foot basis. Uh, so again, let's say it's for simplicity, a thousand bucks. But on top of that, you're going to be uh, required to pay, for example, operating costs, utilities, and taxes uh, that are attributed to the proportionate share of the space in the building. Okay. So, so let's say, again, like, you know, for the building, there's operating costs in the realm of a hundred thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. And the space is 10% of the rentable area of the building. Mm-hmm. 10% okay. of that 100,000 can get attributed to the space. Okay. If you're following me. If, yeah, uh, I am. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so what's really important to be aware of in that dynamic is mm-hmm. what's included in the definition of operating costs. Because mm-hmm. generally speaking, uh, a well-written net lease should have a definition of or a provision that describes the inclusions in operating costs. So uh, that's often a negotiated point. So what, so that could be anything from cleaning to, I mean, you name it. Like it basically, you know, depending on the landlord, they have things that they put in or don't put in into those costs. Okay. Uh, so it's important to be aware of that and uh, to get maybe a sense of what historically those costs have been in prior years. So you can mm-hmm. have a level of predictability because like I said, that a thousand bucks isn't, you know, your true rent, your true rent is going to be a thousand plus those other figures. Right. And, um, is one better than the other for like, should, should people be looking on, especially in their, their startup and their first time out, should they say, Ooh, I'd really prefer, or is it really, is tell us how that, how lease A or lease B actually comes into play. So again, it sort of depends. Like, I mean, a gross lease is definitely simpler in the sense that you've got just one number that carries through the term of the lease. But, um, an op like a a net lease can be a little tricky depending on for example hydro utility bills and all that what those fluctuations are in the market because let's say like utilities go down one year significantly then your rent's going to go down the same right so, so it's, it's sort, sort of, of like, like you're exchanging but, the, but conversely it could go up exactly too. Right. exactly so you're sort of exchanging certainty for maybe a little of fluctuation that could be for or against your your bank Mm-hmm. And um, do you expect any other additional fees on top? Like, are there do landlords charge a management fee or anything else that would that might surprise a startup to know? Yeah, yeah. So you, you could see a management fee in there, and that sometimes could be umbrella in operating costs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, again, it just depends on the landlord. Uh, there's there's a whole like it also depends sort of what could transpire over the life of the lease, right? Like, if you've got a tenant that's responsible for restoring a unit back to its original condition if they vacate okay. you want to wow. have to be able to plan for that like there's there was a story of a, a company in Toronto that put a stairwell in uh 
in their office and they were responsible for restoring it at the end of the lease. Mm-hmm. And that like racked them up like a close to like an over a hundred thousand dollar bill. Wow. Yeah. So like you, like just knowing sort of what you're responsible for at the end of a lease also, as well as the beginning right. is also so, good to be aware of so that you can plan. It's kind of like owning a car or something. I sure. don't know. <laughs> but are there uh, industry best practices that you could tell people, um, you know, that th- these are signs of a good landlord? Uh, yeah, I would say like top brokers are a really good resource for that because they've worked with most of them if they're good brokers, uh, and they'll give you a good sense of sort of what the reputation is. Uh, I think one broker described us as a company that if you looked in the most random corner of a, you know, utility room or or broom closet in the building is going to be spotless. So like we take pride in every inch, every corner, every nook and cranny of our, our buildings because, uh, it's ownership, you know? We, we take ownership and we're proud of what we present to the market. Mm-hmm. And it's been that way for decades. Um, there's other landlords, unfortunately, that had different reputations. And I think a lot of that you're not going to see on their website. You just got to talk to people. Right. And that can come from any, like, it's it's pretty straightforward. Like, it's it's a matter of talking to brokers, people that actually operate in the building. Right. Maybe go ask somebody who's in a spot that you want to go yeah, join exactly right? take yeah. an elevator to a random floor and see what people are saying if yeah. they're smiling yeah. and they're is the elevator working yeah are they comfortable is there enough heat in the winter all that good stuff yeah yeah what are some of the common pitfalls um that um we need to highlight for startups to be aware of um I think a common pitfall. So we talked about a fit up earlier so what that <laughs> means being basically renovating space and I think that what I've seen, not necessarily just in Ottawa, but just in the startup community in general, is that there sometimes is ambitious plans for an office, particularly because of how important culture is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. they want to install a yoga center. They want to put in, I don't know, like a cafeteria with like, you know, I don't, I don't find wines. bells and, and whistles and yeah, everything. Yeah, brewery, beer, I don't know what. <laughs> right. And then once reality sinks in, they realize, okay, maybe we don't have the money or they actually go ahead with doing it. And then when it comes time to renew the lease, they realize they've overspent. Mm-hmm. So I'd say a common pitfall is maybe just not budgeting properly for managing the costs associated with an office um, or engaging maybe an architect or a consultant or something to that effect that promises you the world uh, with a, a very attractive price tag attached to it. But then they there's like a host of things that they've overlooked. And when it comes to actually implementing it, it turns out to be way more expensive and, and time consuming and costly than they would have otherwise thought. Um, so I think at the- So out- how you renovate your space and who does it for you and how much you spend on it, that can get you into trouble if you're not being really smart about your budget. Correct. Correct. And yeah. like Especially if it's your first time through. For sure. Right? For yeah. sure. Like I think uh, I I heard a story of um, a, you know one of my friends who, who uh, recently got started working for a startup out in uh, Paris and they had to close that office within I think six months of her working there because they just overspent on retrofitting it. Wow. Like that, and yeah. you know, you like, like these things happen, happen, right? Of so. course, of course. So be smart with your money. Exactly. And that also includes then getting a great landlord. Yeah. So sometimes that can also mean maybe you don't get your dream space because it's because it's not available or it's at a price tag that just 
you know, won't work, or it may be worth waiting for, you know, saying I want to be in a, in an Arnon building, for example. So what else do you have? Right. And it's okay to ask questions and, you know, you you need to have that relationship piece, right? For sure. And I think kind of to your point about like sort of pitfalls or things to look at in a landlord, another thing to think about is history. Like how long has this company been around for? Right. Because like, for example, we've got, I mean, you know, I'm biased obviously, but we've got a proven track record of growing with companies. Uh, and I think a poster child for that is Nortel. I mean, for better or worse, it's no longer, but we were with them when they were small and we took them all the way up to hundreds of thousands of square feet with some of the most tech, like complex technological components that were in the city of Ottawa at the time. Uh, So getting a sense of if a landlord has a track record, a proven track record of sticking around for a long time, because that means that they've got like a proven business model, but also if they've got a proven track record of growing with companies, because that is a good indication that they're invested in the relationship. And that's what you want. And so to flip it then, what are you looking for in an ideal tenant? An ideal tenant, I mean, we're looking for, I mean, on a very baseline level, people that are respectful and that we like to work with Mm. uh, because it's like any relationship. If it... In, in a sense, it's sort of a marriage, right? Because you're working with these people over the life of the lease. And yeah. uh, depending on the term and, uh, you know, who's responsible for managing that building, um, you're living with those people day in, day out. They're for better or worse. If it's, you know, if they're throwing a Christmas party that you get to go to, that's great. If they're carrying mud in the winter and taking up other people's parking spots that aren't theirs, that's another, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so like yeah. all these little things. You want good neighbors, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's sort of like a, a t- like our, we're, we're very much like a, I guess a bottom up company in the sense that we have and put a lot of stakes in people in all like parts of the chain in our company. So everyone mm-hmm. from our building managers to our property managers to our leasing officers, we want to make sure that those relationships are going to be positive and productive for people across the board. Otherwise it's going to make everyone hard to do their jobs. That's amazing. Yeah. So we know what you're looking for in an ideal tenant. Um, is there any advice you could provide for startups that are thinking, okay, I got to negotiate a lease. Yeah. Um, I, I need a good lease. I want a fair lease, yeah. right? Just fair, like reasonable on both sides. What, what are they, how, how do you do that? What's your advice, Robbie? Okay. So I think first of all, if you've got a broker, generally the broker is going to be doing it for you. So that's, okay. that's a huge advantage to having that. Right. Uh, but they're sort of setting the framework, but you, but you, you know, you, you have to put some input to, yeah, you know, no, so for sure. what are those kind of parameters and ideas that okay. you want to convey? So you want, I mean, the, the types of parameters that you want to make sure are, are fair are for obviously the rental rate, what you're going to be paying. Okay. Uh, the inclusion is in operating costs, like I mentioned, which is often a negotiated item to make sure okay, that they're so not. Okay, so that's important. That's a negotiated item. Yeah, yeah that's okay. important because you don't want to make sure, you want to make sure that whatever they're including in that list is, for example, I'm going to be a value to the tenant, right? So right. if they're including cleaning in there, of course, that's a value because it creates a professional work environment. Yeah. Uh, if there's a management fee associated with that, I mean, there's there's fairness to that because the management of the building adds value to the experience of their clients that are coming through there every day. Um, but I mean, in terms of fairness, also things like incentives, you want to be aware of too. Mm-hmm. And uh, often you can get a sense by just shopping around and viewing different buildings of what's fair and sort of what... 
in a sense, your market value is as a tenant because okay. you'll get a sense yes. of that based on what other landlords are, are throwing at you also. Okay. Um, so don't take the first deal that comes your way. Go and do some homework. That's right. Talk to a few spaces. That's right. And get a sense. And when you talk about incentives, do you want to just spill, spill, spell some of those out for people so sure. they know what might be even on the table for a consideration? Sure. So for example, there could be uh, like a free rent periods. So okay. let's Is there say- an industry kind of norm? I mean, it could be something like the first six months rent free. Uh, there could be like a preterm occupancy period, which is is effectively similar. But basically, what it's saying is you get to occupy the space early if you want to, you know, set up your office furniture and you know, I don't, I don't know what set up technical stuff that you've got going on yeah. in the office. But there's some flexibility there on on start date and even pre start date. Correct. And okay. then you could even have, uh, and that's like small stuff. I mean, you know, you could do carpeting, paint, all that uh, stuff mm-hmm. that they could provide. Uh, but if you want to like the, the bigger incentives that you might see are, for example, just a straight up cash inducement where okay. the landlord yeah. might say something to the effect of, you know, here's a check for a hundred grand, use it uh, to spend on doing improvements to the space so that it's got the renovations that you like. And uh, do you have to spend all hundred thousand dollars? No. So usually what could, or what could happen, or usually the way those clauses are structured mm-hmm. is uh, in the realm of something to the effect of use this check for the renovations and whatever you don't use gets attributed to rent. Oh, wow. Okay. So there, that's a, that's a smart way forward. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I just remembered uh, you were talking about good versus bad landlords. I think mm-hmm. one thing that you also want to think about is what other services those landlords offer. Because with something like a rent inducement, where they give you a check to do the reno, um, the benefit of us, Arnon, is that we also have a construction arm called RECL, uh, and they do a lot of project management work. So oftentimes, when a tenant is doing, um, actually, just by reference, our RECL did 90 Elgin just down the street for the Treasury boards, and we've been around for many years. We've so we've got a strong track record. Do a lot okay. of good work. Um, but part of what we do is tenant retrofits. Uh, so getting the space fit up. Um, so if a tenant's moving in, we can do everything in house. So we get a project manager just on the other side of the building to just get involved, and they're you know so we're working, working together, together all mm-hmm. under the same. Roof. And you care about the work that's getting done because it's in your own building, right? right. Exactly. Yeah. So you're going to get great work. Exactly. Yeah. And we own the buildings. And so there's a vested interest in making sure that it's it's working for everyone. Um, so to your point about uh, what you're looking for in a landlord that you mentioned earlier, you, you might want to get something that's got a lot more in-house services because mm-hmm. when a tenant's actually looking to get things done, they're not going to have to start coordinating all these different pieces that okay. it's, that could be done by the landlord. Right. So uh, there's all kinds of efficiencies in, in this scenario. Correct. Yeah. And a lot of economies of scale that are generated as a result, but going back to the inducement component, um, so that you could be a flat out check that they write. And then we'd go to our project managers at, at RECL and talk to them about how we're going to spend that, um, to make the space work. Um, I mean, the other the, the other alternative is we could just say something to the effect of you tell us what you want and we're going to just do it. Okay. So that's, so that's just, just a different, another way. Yeah, another way. A lot of this is just different <laughs> yeah, ways to get, get the same okay. end result. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, so much to think about, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, what's final advice you would give to our listeners as they hunt for new space to grow their business? What, what are those things that, you know, they may not have thought of like, you know, what, what, whether it's length of lease or you talked about some of those other clauses, but you know, what else, what's that final advice? Like we know work with a great company, as you've indicated, you know, fine, but what else that we haven't covered that you think is really important for startups? 
I think one of the most important things is um, making sure people are comfortable and motivated. Um, so really knowing your staff and where you think that they're going to go every day and feel like doing a great job. Because uh, like... You don't, the surroundings uh, matter. Surroundings matter. Absolutely. And especially like now when there's so many options for startups before they're ready to take that space, it's a much bigger leap than it used to be because before the the standard was, you know, I've, I'm starting a company, I've got four staff, we need office space to operate. And that's no longer the case. That's no longer the norm. Uh, so you really want to make sure that when you do take that leap. It's something that your whole team is going to be happy with, comfortable with, and feel good about. Um, and when you are going down that path, make sure it's with somebody that is going to be invested in the relationship so that you can work together to continue making that a comfortable space for everyone. Because I guess, you know, a happy staff is a successful staff. That's my mantra. Yeah. And I think that's, I've seen it full and through 10 times over. So. And then, so also get your broker, but, you know, get, get some legal looking over this stuff too. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like really you, important. Exactly. No, you can't cut corners no, on it. No, you can't yeah. cut corners because every word is important. Every comma, every punctuation matters. Um, and they can be a, be a beast of a document if you've never looked at it before. Um, so you want to be prepared and making sure that you get the right, right set of eyes on there. Um and also, I guess, getting a sense of the day-to-day, -day, what the requirements are. Like, things like parking are often an important question. Right. You know, well, knowing... Hours how, even, yeah, right? Knowing the hours of the building. Like, you know, if you've got programmers, they're going to be operating in there till midnight sort of thing. Making sure that you've got a landlord that's flexible to accommodate those. Uh, so, those sorts of things. That's amazing. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Robbie? Um, I guess, know your business... Uh, and make sure that you're working with a landlord that knows it also so that you can structure a lease in, in, in a way that sort of creates a roadmap or a blueprint, if you will, for the next X amount of years that you want to be there. Committing to that, you know, in an ideal world, like you gave your Nortel example of really finding somebody that can grow with you. Exactly. Yeah. Taking that long-term view. Exactly. We have been speaking with Robbie Moses today on the show. He's the in-house counsel and real estate officer at Arnon Corporation, one of Canada's most successful property developers and landlords in Canada's national capital region. Robbie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us this week on The Thrive Podcast, a show inspiring, connecting, and educating women entrepreneurs across Canada. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to find resources designed to support thriving women-owned businesses across Canada. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada Podcast, hosted by Rivers Corbett. And to learn about the latest startup community news and events, like our popular startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Until next time, I'm Janice McDonald, leaving you now with a sneak peek of our next episode. This is Sandra Altner, Chair of the Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada and CEO of the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. And you are listening to the Thrive Podcast with Janice McDonald. 
And it's, um, it is an exciting time to be an entrepreneur and in particular uh, a woman in business because as exactly as you said, there are tons of resources available. And I think the real challenge for women entrepreneurs is to get out of their business on a daily basis and pop their head up and go and have those conversations and forge those relationships with the experts who truly can help them take their business to the next level. And of course, put a little bit of the ego aside so that you can at least hear the advice, right? You don't have to take it, but (laughs) you got to hear it. Exactly. I I think that's Mm -hmm. key. And uh, having open ears uh, as well as an open Mm -hmm. mind and open eyes, um, you can do anything. So WEOC, otherwise known as Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada, advertises trade missions specifically for women. And I have done a trade mission, an all-women trade mission, and thought it was a remarkable experience. What is your advice for women who are thinking about doing so? And then secondly, how do you make the most of it? How do you optimize a trade mission? That's a really good question. Um, I would say that I think most... Most women don't recognize how their service or product could be exportable. So that's step one is really look at what it is you're offering and whether or not uh, it can be put together in a manner where it would be attractive to larger markets or external markets. And if that's the case, there are a number of resources to support you. The, the enterprise centers certainly with uh, develop great capacity building programs. Uh, there's um, under Global Affairs Canada, the business women in international trade uh, um, who work with trade commissioners and, and develop these trade missions and who are just phenomenal helpers in in developing export opportunity and and I mentioned Josie Mousseau in particular who has been just a a real bright spirit in this area and I would say that some of the most important points in getting ready for any kind of trade mission is know who's there do your homework recognize who's uh, you know who's going to be there and, and what connection you could make with them so do lots of research position yourself appropriately so depending on who it is you're going to meet or the possibility of meeting make sure that you have your pitch ready in a way that will meet what you have understood to be their needs through your research. Use the resources that are there. Use the trade commissioners. Use the supports that come from the women's enterprise organizations. Use um, BWIT. Network, talk, exchange. Go to the receptions. Go to the lunches. Go to the breakfasts because that's where a lot of business is carried out, not just in the in the lectures and, and in the uh, presentations, but in between times. So even if you're an expert, an introvert, I should say, as Mm -hmm. I am, you know, you have to learn Mm -hmm. how to get out there, have your pitch, figure out what it is you, you are selling and how to make it interesting to people in terms of talking about it as a benefit to them or their businesses. And the other thing I think uh, as much as anything else is recognizing what level you are and what capacity you have to meet the market needs. So a lot of the trade missions to the U.S., like WeBank, for example, um, Mm -hmm. you're going to meet people like Macy's and Marriott and the airlines and big government agencies, and you may not be at this particular time properly positioned to be able to you know make a thousand dozen of something to supply walmart but 
the place is going to be full of second and third tier uh, supply opportunities where you can provide something to the person who supplies the supplier to the supplier who supplies Macy, right? Because right. you start somewhere and there's always a market. So a place like um, some of the trade missions that, that we collectively have been involved with, I know, are WeBank and the, there's a trade mission to um, Atlanta. There's uh, one in Orlando coming up that go for the greens that BWIT is, uh, is um, supporting. So any of those have the opportunity to meet and match with big corporations and uh, big supply chains, but also those who go along to this mission are also looking for suppliers to, to meet their needs. So so be open and also be ready to invest time because the great likelihood is the first time around you're not going to have a contract and it may take two or three times to make that connection and to um, create the trust in your business that another business would require in order to do business across borders or across provinces so take the time invest the the homework time and recognize that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's worth working for and waiting for if you put the time in.